We're going to be in John 15, verse 18 through 21 today. I want to read you the text and then dig in by way of introduction. Jesus says in John 15, 18 through 21, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. A little context as we dig in. This is our 64th sermon in this Gospel of John. It's been a wonderful journey together. We continue to grow. It's the night before Jesus' trial and death on the cross. He's emboldening the disciples, the 11 faithful who remain. Judas has revealed himself as the betrayer. Uh, or Jesus has revealed Judas as the betrayer, and Judas has left the scene. So the 11 faithful, the devoted ones, are there with Jesus, and he's undergirding them. He's emboldening them, especially with his love. Say, I've loved you perfectly from the beginning. You were in my love, remain in my love, abide in me. And he's emboldening them with these truths, because he's told them that he's going to physically depart. He knows that horrific and hard things are coming. He's preparing them for the season of ministry that is ahead of them. In a different kind of preparation now, he makes a pretty abrupt change here in verse 18 and turns to undergird them in a new way. He moves from love, from talking about his love for them, to hate and the world's hate for them. Hate is a strong word. It's intended to be strong. But it is a very real thing. And there will be a major reality for the church in the coming era and still even today that we will be hated by the world. Jesus begins by stating that he is hated by the world. They hated him so much that they killed him. And what we now know looking back is that it didn't take long for that hatred to move to the church. In the book of Acts, we have a beautiful testimony of the early church and the happenings there, and how God worked in expanding the church from its grassroots after the resurrection. We see early testimony that the apostles were arrested and put in jail. Not once, not twice, but many times. Not for killing someone or stealing or breaking the law in those ways, but for preaching Jesus as Savior and Lord. Chapter 7, Stephen, one of the faithful, is stoned to death by an angry mob. Chapter 8, widespread persecution breaks out against the believers, spearheaded by a man named Saul. Chapter 12, the first apostle is murdered, James, one of the the faithful, one, one, one of the core group, murdered for his faith by By Herod. Persecution continues until all the apostles are martyred for their faith and testimony of Jesus, with the exception of John, the author of our gospel, who was exiled to Patmos. 
as the gospel began to spread to the Mediterranean world where the Gentiles ruled, the, the persecution moved from Jewish persecution to Gentile persecution of Christians, and it was intense. The Romans led the way for hundreds of years in persecuting Christians. An example of persecution that Christians experienced in this era, the atrociousness of it, is under the Emperor Nero. Christians were arrested, they were tortured, they were crucified, they were thrown to wild animals, and they were burned as torches for his garden parties. Christians were persecuted for generations under Roman Catholicism after it was adopted as the state religion and true Christianity in biblical form was being persecuted the state form and what the the Roman Catholic Church had become was another gospel. It was and so when the Reformation came about five hundred years ago this October, the reformers were persecuted for standing for biblical truth for the true gospel. While we today live in Western America, I, I believe we live in somewhat of a bubble. With modern technology, I think we get to see more of the world's happenings. It might feel like persecution of Christians is ramping up under the hands of ISIS and others, but what you need to know is you just see more of it now that media gets to you faster than it used to. Persecution of Christians even in the last 500 years around the world has been insane. The numbers, some numbers are even in the millions what Christians have faced since the beginning is real. They're hated. They're killed for testifying the gospel of Jesus Christ all around the world. Every day. Just, just recently we got news of another pastor in another country who was, who was laid claim and, and is likely to be killed for preaching the gospel. In America, if we boldly stand for biblical truth and Christ's teachings, then we too will be persecuted and hated. Not just by atheists or false religions, but the word says by even our own families and the modern day culture that surrounds us. I pray that you don't check out today. I, I pray that you would hear the words of Christ about the hatred of the world, hear why he's deem this important for the disciples to know, that we would see that he's ordained for us to know it, and not put it off as something radical or not applicable to you. I pray you would listen. I pray you would hear Jesus' words. This is the words of the Lord Jesus, his warnings for us, the church. Understand that he is saying and what he is applying and how it applies to us today that we'd be emboldened and ready for all that we will face as we abide in Christ and submit to his holy word in all things. I want to pause before we jump into the text and, and pray for the persecuted church. I, I think we are negligent in praying for the persecuted church because we don't experience a lot of persecution, maybe as much as we should, but it's real and it's happening. It's happening as we speak. 
And so, will you join me? Father God, and Lord of all creation, sovereign ruler over all things, we come to you knowing that sin is at work in the world, knowing that evil is at work, knowing that those who are in sin are anti-God, therefore are anti-Jesus, the gospel that sets mankind free. And that hatred for you means hatred for our, our brethren, our adopted brothers and sisters around the world who are sought out, who are arrested, beaten, stripped from the families, killed for their bold stance and testimony of Jesus Christ. We pray for those who are in shackles at this very moment, that you would embolden their faith, that their joy would not be in their circumstances, but be in you. As we've been reading in Philippians, when Paul was locked up in such circumstances, Lord, I'm sorry for how we, the church, the modern church, in many ways Western church, has really turned off the reality of the spiritual battle that is and the reality of our, our exile and alien nature in this land and time ruled by sin and hatred for you that we would be more aware of these things, that we would not work hard just to make our lives easier, that we would be less motivated for the lazy boy and truly motivated to live our lives and our days for you in their fullness, even if it means we are persecuted and hated too. Lord, give us ears to hear today and then conviction to do. Speak these truths in such a way that they change us and mold us and transform us and grow us. We love you. Praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus says, John 15, 18, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. He just finished saying, love one another. In verse 17 and before. Then he launches into another reality needed for our exile time and testimony. And that, that reality is the world's hatred for Jesus, our master, our king, who we have died from self to live for him. Hatred for him and hatred for those who are associated with him. Jesus wants his followers to know that the world will hate them. This is a way he's readying them for what is real and out there. The emphasis that of Jesus' words here is, do, be, do not be surprised when the world hates you for being a Christian who holds to my word and submits to my commandments. Jesus has already spoken of this clearly in John chapter 3, 19-20, when he says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. The people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Anyone who does wicked things hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. So Jesus brings forth the new covenant. He is the light, the one who will change everything. And his very presence makes the Judaizers so enraged with him 
You dare change our system, change our ways, change our position. They're filled with so much hate for him that they kill him. They, they get the one and only man who has ever lived, who is without blame, who is without sin, and have him killed. We're outraged at the idea that someone would, would slaughter or kill a young child. We love to claim the innocence of a young child. But a young child's not even innocent. Jesus alone was innocent. We see the depth of the world's hate for him. We, the disciples of Christ, what, what the disciples before him that day had to get, what he's trying to leave them, and I believe leave us, the church, is to die to self and live to Christ means we will follow him into persecution at the hand of the sinful world. He will lead us not only to victory, but into persecution and real suffering. said in John chapter 10, verse 4, He has brought us out, all His own. He goes before them. The sheep follow Him. They know His voice. When we hear Jesus speaking of the sheep following Him, knowing Him, I think we see something kind of pristine and wonderful. And it is wonderful that He would have a people that He would die for, that He would make His own and that we would be given ears to hear and we would believe and we'd give our lives to him and we would follow him. That's a beautiful, wonderful thing. But don't, don't just see the pristine picture of the sheep and the shepherd. See where the shepherd's going. See what it means to follow the shepherd and be his sheep. It means persecution. Jesus is blessing the disciples in this moment. Don't be surprised. It is coming. Don't think when you're persecuted, when you're hated, when you're ostracized that something's gone wrong. You will be aliens in this land. The world will hate you because they hate me. Peter says this clearly, poignantly, in, in 1 Peter 4.12. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised. But here's the problem as Western Americans. We are surprised, aren't we not? You might say to yourself in moments like this, you're like, where did I go wrong? What, what, what do we do? I didn't do anything to deserve this. God, why are you doing this to me? The Western mindset is life should work right. We want it to be predictable and orderly. We want it to obey the rules. And when we're really honest, we're really spoiled. I don't think we really get it. I'll prove it to you. When your power goes out in your house, not just for a few minutes and you've got to reset some clocks, all right, we can get through that. I'm saying for like a couple hours, maybe half a day. What do you mean the 
the powers out. This is nonsense. We were undone at this reality. Why? Because we are so spoiled that power is routed into our home, into multiple plugs throughout the room to cool me and keep me comfortable. What is happening to the world that I have no power right now and we're just undone? (laughs) We're so spoiled. Instead of it being a moment to realize all the hundreds of hours, thousands of hours of provision, of convenient power, that we would stop and go, praise God, look at how blessed, how abundant it is that I have this all the time. And then rightly endure a few hours or half a day or even a week. Right? I mean, do you see how skewed we are to avoid anything that's uncomfortable, to be so upset at it? What's going on? The unofficial rule is you live right, good things happen to you. You live wrong, then consequences. But the problem with that thinking is then when you're living right by your definition of that and then the rug gets pulled out from underneath you, you want your money back. You're like, oh, I'm done, I'm done. And Jesus knows Christians are not going to endure really living for his name in this world if that's our mindset. Peter's saying, don't think this way. Don't be surprised. Suffering is here. It is now. And if it's not right here, right now for you, it is on your doorstep. And if it's not quite on your doorstep, it's in a bus on the way to your house. Why? Because you claim the name of Jesus and this world hates Jesus. Church, we will suffer because of sin. Because of a hatred for what is righteous and good and true. Life on this planet until Christ comes to call Satan's influence and man's selfish reign of sin to an end and make all things new. We're going to suffer. We'll be persecuted. We'll be hated. And we need to have a right view of this so that we're not undone. So our hope is not built on the wrong things. It is loving that Jesus gave them these words and preparing them. It is loving that we're not skipping this text because, oh man, shoot, we're at a hate passage in, in our journey in John. I wish I would have set, stayed home today. Big Debbie Downer sermon. No, this is good. We need this. Jesus is blessing us with the right understanding of this. I want us to see that we, are, we will face this persecution because of who we belong to. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, you are, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. We belong to him, and because he's hated, we will be hated too. That's what he says in verse 18. Look at verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The temptation for us and our sin is to want to be loved by the world. I've seen in my last almost 20 years of pastoral ministry, many people who once claimed Jesus sell out to be loved by the world. 
they proved to be false disciples or to be in a major season of drift and, and in, in, in their devotion to the Lord and obeying his commandments because they want to be loved by the world. Let us, church, look out for ourselves. Let us look out for each other that we do not get caught up in this, this thing called the fear of man. Fear of man is, is, is a sin that we struggle with, is a deep-seated desire in our flesh to want the approval or applause or acceptance or compliments or affection of our fellow man instead of primarily from God. We're not of this world, Jesus says here. That doesn't mean that we're aliens from another planet. It means that we are aliens from the priorities and the agenda of the lost world we live in. Peter refers to us as elect exiles in 1 Peter 1.1. You might remember our study of that a few years ago. Peter's writing to Christians in this letter, 1 Peter, who were experiencing various forms of persecution. Both men and women who stood for Jesus, that reality made them aliens or exiles, strangers in a pagan society. The persecution and suffering Peter's referring to is social and religious rather than legal persecution. They, they're hostile pagan society would slander them, ridicule them, discriminate against them, and even inflict physical abuse on them because of their faith in Jesus. He calls the church elect exiles, Aliens, that word exile in other translations is aliens. Not, not green, with, with eyes. Think, think aliens from a foreign land or kingdom, belonging to another kingdom. Christian exiles are like immigrants, foreigners, temporary residents, refugees. We don't belong to this world any longer. He has taken us out of the world. Hebrews 13, 14. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. So we are aliens and exiles and sojourners today. And I just ask you pragmatically for you today, apply it. Do you get that? In your priorities of your days and the dreams and the things that you're working on, do you get the temporariness of what we can get caught up into and making it our everything, putting our hope on it? Do you get the temporariness of it? And so then, therefore, do you get it so when the world acts in sin and hatred towards you that you're surprised and you're put off? Like, dude, what I do deserve to treat, for you to treat me this way? To understand that we're citizens of God's kingdom and exile residents in this temporal kingdom. Do you know that in your soul? Because if you don't, then this world's not going to make sense to you. You're going to be constantly frustrated with it. To build your life on the here and now, for the here and now, you will be upset in, in the things that go wrong and come against you. You can't make your current circumstances your everything. When it goes terrible, you'll be undone. This is not our home. Hear Peter's words again. 1 Peter 4.12 Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you.
Instead, we need to hold to the truth of the Apostle Paul in Romans 8.18. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. When you're in the midst of persecution, when you're in the midst of division, when you're in the midst of great turmoil, are you claiming that truth? These sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory to be revealed to me in Christ. Peter calls us elect exiles, and that's essentially what Jesus is saying about the disciples here, that they're his elect. He says, but I chose you out of the world, John 15, 19. He's trying to put their minds on this good news that God has chosen them. We focused on this the last few weeks. He continues to use that language to embolden them, to rightly give them the right view of how beautiful that is. I mean, for, for these guys who grew up in anything connected to the Jewish culture, the, the looking back to God's selecting Moses, this shepherd on a hillside, to be his mouthpiece, to do the most historic thing, to bring Israel out of Egypt, to deliver them to the promised land. I choose you, Moses. That was epic for these guys. And then Abraham to pick Abraham and say, you're going to be the father of all these generations. I'm going to bless you. You're going to be a blessing. You choose us to be part of that, to be part of your plan, life with you. It is special in Deut- back in Deuteronomy 7, 6, you are a people holy to God. Your God, your Lord, your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who were on the face of the earth. Jesus is saying, know who you are. You're chosen in me. I've taken you out of the world. Know who you are in the midst of your alien exile in this land, so that when you're hated, when you're persecuted, you remember who you are. And I didn't do this because of obligation or because of your merit. It was my predetermined plan, my free choice, God said, to choose you. And this brings us back to, to the fear of man, because one of the ways that we have softened the reality of persecution and hatred by the world in the modern church is we have, much of the modern church has eliminated language of talking about the election of God. What you hear many Christians or pastors say, I believe God elects, we just don't talk about it. Why not? It's a wonderful encouragement to the church that we need to talk about and need to celebrate throughout the scriptures revealed again and again. They don't talk about it because of fear of man. Because they want to appease people in the world. They don't want them to feel alienated by God or the church, so they don't bring up election. Because the modern priority is church growth. Many people, let's get lots of people. So we just don't talk about some of those things because... It's too controversial. People will feel alienated. They'll feel... Jesus says, this is a priority to talk about it so you know who you are in me. (laughs) You're ready 
Jesus says, because you are my elect, and because the world knows it, they will hate you. He doesn't go, he doesn't say, hey guys, hey, I chose you, but man, don't ever talk about that around them because it will be cause for them to really be bitter and, and mad at you. People don't like to not be chosen. They don't like to just keep that to yourself because it would be really bad for you if you talked about that. No, no, no. This is the reality. This is the truth. And it's going to be known and it's going to be why they hate you. He's not steering them away from it. He's saying, here's how you endure it. Here's what you have to understand. I think he goes so far to say, being hated by the world is not something you put away. It's actually a good thing. It's good news to be hated by the world. Why? Because it's a sign that you're no longer of the world. How do we know that? Because Jesus just said so. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Church, you don't want to be loved by the world because it's a sign that you belong to the world. Do you see what Jesus is doing there? In one of his most famous sermons in Matthew 5, 10 through 12, Jesus says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We're going to close this morning's service singing one of our newer songs, Rejoice. I pray that we would get why by the end of this message. I want to belong to Jesus. I don't want to be accepted and belong to the world. Blessed are you who are persecuted. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you on my account. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, 29, it has been granted to you, gifted. It is a gift that for the sake of Christ, for the name of him, which we're going to get to in a second. You should not only believe, belief in God, a gift, saving faith that he awakens my dead heart to believe, a gift, a, the greatest gift. What else is a gift? To believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. It's a gift to suffer for the name of Jesus. Look further. Look, look at verse 20. John 15, 20. Remember the, world, the word that I said to you. So he's recalling something that he's already said. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, 
your master, they're going to persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. He's telling them, this is how this is going to go. Remember washing your feet? John 13, just two chapters ago. Jesus' words. The servant's not greater than the master. As you abide, as you stand fast, as you submit to the master, if the master is persecuted, you will be persecuted. In other words, the master's not going to go through something that you somehow get around. If they persecuted God in flesh, Lord of all creation, the Messiah, and you are my committed disciples, then they're going to persecute you too. And if they showed faithful devotion to me and kept my words, then they're going to show faithful devotion to you and prove to be true disciples and keep your words. I love how Jesus points to the fact that the true sheep who follow him as the good shepherd will faithfully follow you, talking to church leaders who would become the apostles who are appointed to shepherd the flock. This is a strong application of what Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 20. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Those who are of the world, living in flesh and sin, will hate and persecute those who are living for Christ, pursuing righteousness in His name and His power for His glory. Second Timothy chapter 3, 10-13 You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. continuing to draw lines of clarity of what it means to be with him or against him. What it means to truly follow him and what it will mean for their life and our lives in the here and now. What a gift of solidification, of foundation he's putting under their feet. Don't be naive. Don't be surprised. This is coming. Stand fast. Abide. See it through. I'm at work in all these things. It is a true gift for us to know how to be confident, how to hope, and understand these things rightly so that when they come, we are prepared. We're going to read the next verse, and then I want to flesh out the fullness of what Jesus is revealing here about how true followers will suffer in His name because they are his and the others are not. Verse 21, 
John 15, 21, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Suffering in the name of Jesus is for the glory of Jesus. He says, they will do these things to you on account of my name. We are Christians. We bear the name of Christ. Jesus is our master. We are joyfully his sheep, his disciples, his friends. And what that means is, because he's persecuted, we will be persecuted. Because he's hated in sin, we will be hated. Why? Because they don't know him who sent me. They don't have a reconciled relationship to the Father. They're still alienated in their sin. Therefore, they're against God, they're against His commandments, they're against His Son and His adopted family. But we, the chosen ones, stand with Jesus and die with Jesus. We take up our cross and follow Him. We suffer as He suffered. We cannot forget the truth that we see again and again in the Scripture. 1 Peter 4, 1, Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves in the same way of thinking. One of the mega narratives for the Christian life in the Scriptures is suffering. That this is not our home. That for Christians, it's not a better life. It's hard. Being a Christian is hard in this land, in this time. If you want temporary ease and a smooth, temporary life, Christianity may not be what their answer. We're signing on to die to ourselves, to pursue righteousness in, in a corrupt world and honor God with all of our lives. That's hard. But we do it for the joy set before us. For the glory of His name. But we forget all too soon that the Christian life is one of suffering. Church, we want to bear the name of Jesus. To not want this is to not want to truly be a Christian. To say, I want God in the gospel, but I don't want a life in Christ, is to not want God in the gospel. Because we don't do it for horizontal conveniences. We do it because of the joy it is to know and worship and live for Him. The prize is God. It can't be any horizontal thing which can be taken away. You can lose all the rest of it. It's expendable. All that's for naught. He is the prize. Our joy is in Him. He, you treasure Him. If you're considering Christianity and you've got some horizontal benefits on the horizon, and let, let me say, there's a ton. There's a ton. I, we could line up. You all could come and line up and come to the microphone, and we take more than two hours, and we just started sharing the blessings of what it means to be in the body of Christ, to be a part of this adopted family, the growth you've seen, the maturity, the differences you've the power you've had to fight addiction, to make better decisions with your money, to get out of debt, to, to, to have a, a, a true, loving, sacrificial marriage. These different things that you're discovering, what it means. There is a ton of horizontal blessing. A ton. 
We don't do it for that, though. That can't be the aim. The aim has to be God. Because if it's the other stuff and it starts to go south, you will bail. You will pull the ripcord. At the end of the day, it's about him. It's for him. He's the prize. He's better than anything else, including our comfort. What is Philippians 2, 5-8? Your attitude should be the same of that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus' focus in this is laser-focused on, on, on the glory of God, on, on, the, on the plan and purpose of his mission for the glory of God. He willingly embraces the suffering before him for that. If our priority is on ourselves, if our aim is on ourselves, then we will choose self-preservation and avoid hardship, hatred, soften the testimony to survive in the moment. But if our priority and trust is in God, we will endure what he puts before us. We will stand fast in truth and love. John's later, it, Jesus is later going to say in John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. How did the Father send Jesus? We just read it. Do you get that this is what the Christian life is? Jesus said it again and again in Luke 9, 23. If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself Take up his cross daily and follow me. So when Jesus stood on the cross for sinners like you and me, he didn't just stand in our place to do what we could never do, to rightly and fully pay for our sin. Praise God for that. That is massive. But he also shows us what it means to be a follower of him. To take up our cross and join him on a road of suffering, on being hated by this world who stands against him for his glory, for his namesake. He expands on this thought in Matthew 16. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. You make it about you in the temporary and not about God in the eternal, you'll lose your life eternally. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You die to yourself and live to Christ and you're about him eternally you will have eternal life. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? You say, ah, man, suffering, hardship, the temporary, I'll sell that out to live fat and happy now and roll the dice with eternity. You have all the money in the world, all the fame, all the success, whatever you can go out and accomplish and gather and have and experience and be satisfied in the moment, but forfeit your soul for eternity. He says, what? Think that. What shall a man give in return for his soul? Repeatedly talking to the disciples about taking up their crosses and following him, an instrument of death. Jesus came, I've said this before, to save us, his people, from hell, not to save us from the cross. I pray you're making this adjustment with me because Christianity for a long time has overly focused on the physical death of Jesus being the price he paid by which we praise him for his substitutional death.
He is to be praised for what he went through. Jesus did something for me that no human has ever come anywhere close to. Flesh torn, beaten, and ridiculed, naked, hung before the most grotesque, brutal death for me. We're going to praise him for that. But that's not the aim. That's not the focus. The physical part is not what he did in my place. Understand this. Don't miss this this morning. What he did in your place, in our place, that we praise him for, is taking on the wrath my sin deserves. That's the thing we praise him for that we could not do. If you substitute that for his physical pain, then you will wrongly think he took on the cross so I don't have to. That's not the teachings of Christianity. He says again and again, you will be hated, you will suffer, you will give your lives, take up your cross and die for my namesake every day. Be willing to go the distance. He didn't save us from the cross. He actually tells us to follow his example in taking up the cross. He saved us from the wrath of God that our sin deserved. That's the crux of what we praise him for. That was the meat of the moment. You and I have no idea what he took on in taking on the wrath due our sin. That's the thing that just should be overwhelming unto praise and worship and living for his name. Yes, the physical thing is part of it, but man, do not substitute that for the physical. You're missing the whole point of what it means to be a Christian. None none of the rest of these verses make sense if that's the case. So when you see the cross as a believer, you should think of two very central things. He died in your place, a gift that you did not earn, for which you will never be able to praise him for. In taking on the wrath of God, your sin deserved. That's the key there. Not just the physical part. The wrath of God he took on. The number two thing you should think of when you see the cross is you should think of you. He died in your place to give you the power to die to yourself every day for his namesake and his glory. That that cross is given to you to wield, to put on display that he's the prize, that our hope is only in Jesus And if it costs you everything doing it, so be it. That the Christian life is one of crucifixion. That we're fighting our sin to overly cling to the things that we, in our sin, want to put our hope and joy in. So you are to enjoy a good meal. I I thoroughly enjoyed a 450-mile ride on my motorcycle yesterday, especially the first half. It was like cool ocean breezes over the grapevine and on the 210 to the base of, of the mountain and then up into the mountain. And then we came off the mountain at about 3 or 4 o'clock into the valley heat and it was miserable all the way home. But the ride was still amazing. You enjoy your children and your loved ones, but rightly in such a way where they're nowhere near the joy that God is to you. So we rightly steward these things, with our, so our hope is not in these things, but is in Him. Our joy is in Him. We're constantly having to pray and repent and grow and mature in our cling to the temporary to be about the eternal. The 
creator of the universe, the sustainer of all things, the savior of the world, the son of God, chose suffering as a vocation. This was the vehicle that he wanted to show his glory and for his gospel to be known. And it's the vehicle he's chosen for us to live out so the gospel is known, so we show his glory. So my question for us is, do we choose the road of hardship joyfully, willingly, and not avoid it if it means we glorify God and make much of his good news? Or do we avoid it at all cost? See it coming, no, I'm going to go another way. Do we wake up to embrace the realities of being hated and persecuted if it is the way the Lord is leading or calling us to make much of His name? It's not about us. It's about Him to make much of His name. In my maturing and growing in the journey that I'm on, I've tried to be very conscious of the way I answer the question when someone sees me who hasn't seen me for a while and doesn't really know the context of what my daily life has looked like. Hey, how you doing, Josh? That the priority of my answer is to speak of the privilege it is to serve the king. That the joy or the priority of my answer is not let me tell you about how great my family is or how awesome the church is doing or all these things. So that I don't, I do that so that I don't, in an effort to not lose sight of the fact that he's given me today and doesn't owe me tomorrow and that it is truly my highest honor to get to live for him and not to be building my own kingdom. And I don't share that with you like, hey, look at me. I'm just saying that, that that's a tool in my tool bag whereby it, it has and is affecting my thinking. And you can ask the guys who run closest with me that that's true. And it's, it's a way that I try to put feet on how then I make decisions for my family, for the church, for, for all of us. I want to die to self and live to Christ. I want to put on display that all of it what you're asking about me is his, it's for him, and it's my joy to be part of that. And I want to steward it well, and I want to not waste it, even the suffering, even the persecution. And Paul said this so well, as I mentioned earlier, Romans 8.18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. Do you believe that? And so therefore, does it then affect the everyday. I ask for a service, and I ask you to. We, Jennifer and I, need your help with this journey we're on with Piper because after two years, every day she's in our arms, in our home, in our discipline. We're falling in love with this little girl, and it just feels every day more and more like she is our daughter. We keep slipping into that. And, and, we're, and we're trying to treat her as such, to not treat her as second rate. But she's not. And it may be the goodwill of the Lord that I don't, we don't get to adopt her. 
And so will you join us in fighting against the horizontal desires of the flesh and the thinking of our logical mind that says that's the best thing to yield to say, God, all this and us and her is yours. So if you will it, if you ordain that we then great. But please don't say we deserve it. This is the best. No, no, no. If the Lord wills, then we'll do this or that. And I, and I use that as an example because that, that is a real fight I'm in every day. To fight my mind and my logic. And, and, and that thing by which I want to, I'm tempted to turn to God and go, God, let's just get this done. It just makes so much sense, right? And hold him hostage. When it's my utter privilege even just to be given an hour, a day, today. Let's steward today. And if he gives us tomorrow, then so be it. And I started to come to realize that maybe I've shared this with you. Let's say I get to adopt her tomorrow, Monday. It's done. She's legally ours in every way. She's our daughter. But then Tuesday morning, we wake up and we find that Natalie's dead in the bed. Do you see what kind of false security it is for me to lock up the horizontal thing when we're not even promised tomorrow? I, we can't put our hope in that. My hope's got to be in the Lord. My joy's got to be in the Lord. And we have to love and, and do the horizontal well and, and not, not mechanically, but genuinely and sacrificially. But there's a way to steward it in such a way where it does not define us. It's not our joy. It's not our hope. Our, jo- our hope and joy is in Him. And so I just pray that that's just a taste, a way in which we, we make war with the way our flesh wants to overly prize these things and really not ready us for what is to come. I'm convinced that while, yes, the system is very broken, that's why what should have been ruled on last November to terminate parental rights and start adoption process still almost a year later has not happened. I'm convinced that this is a vehicle that God's using to grow us all. All of us. And a lot of people were watching. It's a moment for Jennifer and I to say, our prize is not adopting Piper. Our prize is Jesus. And if he gives us another day, then we'll love her and, and, and lead her well. And I need that. Because I want to lock it all up. And we need that. Consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. So every day, every day, you've got to wake up and dedicate it to the Lord. To die to myself, to live to Christ. That I find my satisfaction in Him, my joy in Him, my endurance in Him. So that it remains always for Him, for His name. Amen? Stand with me. I want to read to you 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And we're going to do part two of this next week. I pray you'll be here with us. Because, uh, as you can see, there was a full sermon here for four verses. And Jesus is not done talking about this. So we have part two of persecuted in the name of Jesus next week. Second Corinthians chapter 6. Maybe we can just close your eyes and just hear this. Hear Paul's words. Let this put us in a right mindset. Verse 4 through 10. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, 
imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true as unknown and yet well-known as dying and behold we live as punished and yet not killed as sorrowful yet always rejoicing as poor yet making many rich as having nothing yet possessing everything father god i pray that we would have a right view of these things. As the apostles did. For they... They didn't pack up after they saw Jesus die. They didn't quit after the fourth false imprisonment or the sixth beating. The government saying, don't speak these words or... Or you'll be killed. They, they kept on until all of them but one were killed for their faith. Let us see that bearing the name of Jesus and for the glory of Jesus is the prize so that we would be steadfast in enduring whatever hate, persecution we might endure. Let us be so bold to speak truth in love not as a way to cowardly avoid conflict because we are in love with comfort, but to testify of the eternal in the midst of the temporary to make much of your name and fulfill the reason why you even have us here. Thank you, Lord, for your many simple blessings, for the many blessings it is to be in this family and to have the things we have. But Lord, let us be good stewards of it. Let us not be afraid to speak the truth and to have real persecution. Let us not want to be loved by the world because we don't want to be of the world. We want to be known as Christ followers, as Christians, dead to self, alive to Christ, living for the glory of God and obeying the truths of God. And if this church never gets real big and wide because of that, so be it, Lord, that we continue to be faithful to make disciples who go to make disciples and that generations are impacted and your name is proclaimed among the nations for as long as you will for us to continue this journey. Lord, we have so much to rejoice in. Yeah, we're sorrowful. Yeah, these times are tough. It might be more so the more bold we are in our testimony, but oh, let us rejoice in you. You are a great prize and king and worthy of all of us. We love you and we worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen.